Welcome back to Bible Love. We are recording this early, and when it posts on Thursday, I may actually be snowed in in Texas, which seems pretty crazy. My boys are already excited, so we'll see how that turns out when this actually gets on the air. And um, I wanted to pray for our enemies today, but I was told I couldn't do that. And so we'll pray for peace among the nations. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, guide the nations of the world into the way of justice and truth and establish among them that peace, which is the fruit of righteousness, that they may become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Alan, I'm not sure if you know our guest today very well. He is a dear friend of mine. I'm hoping that the two of you can become friends and not enemies as we do this wonderful podcast on the first eight eight books, eight chapters of Samuel. But my friend, the Reverend Jimmy Hartley, who is the Associate Rector at Trinity Cathedral is here. You may have known each other at some point or time or run across each other. I don't know. Maybe in seminary. Maybe I'll I work my, together. I think my kids know. Best friends, something like that. But Jimmy, we are so glad you're here with us. Um, this will be a little bit different because we've been in Ruth where we were just like taking it so slow, chapter by chapter, and we got you know, a lot to cover today in the first book of Samuel. So, Jimmy, thanks for joining us um, and giving us your thoughts. And I'm really glad you're here. And I yeah, think Alan is too. I'm sorry, what? I think Alan's okay that you're here too. <laughs> we'll just let's just pretend he's not he's not here today. It's just you and me, and Mary Bowser. You and me. Okay. Well, so Samuel starts starts off with this litany of names that are hard to pronounce, right? I'm not even going to try. But as often as many books of the Bible start, we learn the lineage of sort of where we are in the historical concept of of this book of Samuel. Um, But sort of the two main figures of these first couple of chapters are these two women, right? They both are named. Let's talk about them a little bit. And the one we know more than uh, the other is Hannah. But the other um, woman has a pretty significant role in this as well. So let's talk about that, guys. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that these first eight chapters, not eight books, Mary Balfour. But, I know. I'm but, sorry. I always do that. It's not eight books. Or it's eight days. I mean, we'll be here for a long time. Right. Yeah. Eight chapters. You know, these, these first eight chapters are really important, you know, as, as we talked about a little while ago, you know, before we, we went on air, um, just that it, this really marks a, an important shift in the, the life of the people, uh, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, you know, shifting from these judges, um, that you know, these chieftains uh, that that ruled and judged and and um, served over over the people of Israel to the monarchy with Saul and uh, with with David, as y'all y'all will get into with 
uh, way more um, professional and uh, smart folks than me. But what's neat about what's neat about these first eight chapters is that uh, it really kind of walks through um, what's happening with the the you know the the Hebrew people. And um, particularly in the and and using these these two women um, as well as Akana, uh, the the husband of of, of Hannah and Penana, um, who um, who really really uh, are people in themselves, but also there's an interesting uh, what seems to be a layer of uh, of sort of allegory that that speaks towards the. Um, the people shifting, you have know, seen a, a nation, you know, the other nations in the area with these kings, Panama's children, and then um, and then Hannah, who's barren. You know, uh, we could also talk about the long line of of uh, the people of God, these Hebrews and Israelites, who who and whose uh, history and tradition comes from the barren people, the ones that would otherwise be left out, you know, the Sarah's and, uh, and Rachel's and folks like that. So Jimmy, let me interrupt you just to set the scene. We've got Hannah and Penna who are married to the same man, right? right? One can have children. One cannot have children. Okay. So in that, in the importance of having children, especially during this time, Penna was probably, you know, sort of raised up a little bit more. But here we have Hannah, who you said earlier before we started recording, and I thought this was brilliant, really had to rely on God, right? Because she couldn't have children. She did have a husband, but she also had to share that husband with another woman, right? Which right. sounds awful. Um, so she goes into this, real reliance of God and singing and praying and thinking through how she will live her life. Is that fair to say? Well, you know, that, you know, what was, you know, just like Sarah, right. Um, she was, she was Elkanah's favored one. You know, if you remember, you know, she's, she's all upset because she can't have a child and uh, Akana kind of comforts her and says, <clears throat> uh, which is beautiful in the sense, if we were to look at this as an allegory for the Hebrew people, right? If Alkana is God and Hannah is the Israelites and Penena is the nations, uh, the other nations, or as just the people themselves, you know, um, Akana saying, aren't you worth more than 10 children, mm-hmm. Right. You know, you are so beloved just be for who you are, not for who you think you should be. And so gosh, there's a pastoral message there for us to consider. Too. We could probably just spend our whole time just talking about these three sort of phases of of God among us, you know, uh, both, both in terms of those, that family, but, but also as an allegory. Yeah. And I can really relate to that as um, it's not that I can't have children. I've chosen not to have children in just my life circumstances. Um, But I definitely think there was a time that I went through like 
who am I if I don't have children? Who am I if I don't produce? You know, the two of you have children, you know, and I'm sure that feels different on one side too. But exactly what you were saying, Jimmy, is that we still are beloved children of God, whether we produce, we don't, we all find our ministries and our, our, you know, connection to God and whatever that may be. And good for Hannah for setting this example for a lot of women who can't have children or make the choice like I did not to have children, you know? Yeah. I was, I was having a conversation the other day with someone about kind of this idea and even relationships, man and woman in which either by choice or by circumstance, children can't be the procreative result of that. Right. Jimmy and I, and, uh, we did a project, Jimmy and I know each other. Uh, we spoiled the thing. We, in seminary, we did a thing where we looked at, at that about like in the context of same gendered marriage, but also for older couples or couples for whatever reason. And to think here, right. Hannah, like it's, you know, it says here, you know, I've been pouring my soul out before the Lord, right? Like she's deeply troubled. And part of that is like where she's worth more in God's eyes than just as someone who produces children. But even for that couple, for her and her husband, right? Like what is being created out of that union? And so that's a pastoral message as well, right? Like for folks who can't or choose not to have kids, like their call to be fruitful remains, just that fruit looks different. You know, we have these stories of barren women in the Old Testament, right? Who miraculously give birth and that pastorally can be hard because we don't have the stories necessarily of people who come to terms with what it looks like on the other side. And do you think that's why um, the second chapter of, which is Hannah's song is, is like, it's very famous. People know when you're talking about the Bible, Hannah's song, you know, and, and I wonder if that is, you know, a place of pastoral care for people, but also, just that it's okay to cry out to the Lord in your pain. It's okay to feel that pain. I have a couple sitting outside my door who have just gone through a tragic event. Um, and I may jump off to go take care of them. Um, but you know, to point them to Hannah, you know, and, and that, that there's so much pain that you're going through, but this is something other people have gone through too. And I, I wonder if that's why it's so famous. I mean, people really know what we're talking about when we say Hannah's song, right? Right. Hannah's song or Mary's Magnificat. Right. Uh, you know, the promise that God isn't for the elite and those who just have it all perfect, the Peninnas of the world that have all the children and all the, all the, you know, fancy things. Right. But that um, but that those that are low will be brought up and those that that are highly exalted will be brought down and in God's eyes. Right. And, you know, I, maybe that's you know, that's part of the imagery, too, is that God cares for us all. Right. Uh, we know that, you know, um, you know, there's another part in this <clears throat> in these eight chapters where. <laughs> where the Israelites lose the ark. They're getting beat by the Philistines. And then, uh, and then they say, well, we'll bring the ark out. And what happens? You know, they get beat again and the Philistines take the ark. Now that, that whole, you know, what happens to the Philistines later is, an, is another story, but like, um, 
but it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting, uh, in that, um, and what Mary Balfour is saying in the terms of sort of God looks on us all with the same love, right? That's what I, I hear from the Magnificat. That's what I hear from yeah. Anna's song, you know, um, you know, and to, so to bring up the question of why does God allow bad things to happen to people? Um, while I don't think that these necessarily give an answer to it, um, you know, these, these songs give an answer to it or that, but, but in these, these eight chapters, what it does prove is that all these bad things may happen, right? Hannah gets children, right? And the end, we know it's going to be Samuel and Samuel is given up to be, you know, the, you know, to be, uh, to work for Eli and, and, uh, and to serve in the temple and, and eventually become a judge, you know, and, uh, but first a prophet, um, who, who, you know, prophesies against Eli and his family. Who's, who has some pretty bad kids. The NRSV calls them scoundrels. (laughs) But, um, well, I think that's a good lead in Jimmy to, yeah, yeah, let me finish my thought uh, is, is that these whole eight chapters are about, um, God sticking in there with the people, right? He doesn't want them to be, to have a king. He, you know, that in chapter eight, he says, I am your king, right? Why do you need another king before you? Right. Or, you know, however, you know, it's translated, but, um, but then he says, well, okay, well, you're going to have a king. Well, Samuel, tell him they have a king and go and anoint one. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, God doesn't turn God's back on the people. Right. God doesn't turn God's back on Hannah. Right. Uh, God doesn't turn God's back on the people who are wrestling with the question of why does God allow bad things to happen or why do bad things happen to good people? Right. But, uh, but that, um, but that things happen and yet God is still with us. And if there's anything about these first eight chapters, I think that's, that's the part of the story is, is that, God sticks in there, you know, with us. If Elkanah is an allegory for God, you know, he says, you, 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 you don't think you're worthy to this world, Hannah, you know, people of Israel, because you don't have a king or you don't have children. And yet I love you more than 10 kids, 10 kings, you know, um, oh, you want, you think you need a king like all the other nations, like in chapter eight. And God says, well, I'm going to be there with you while you do it. And, and I will, through Samuel, anoint a king and then disanoint him, that person, and then anoint another person, you know. But, but anyway, God's a part of all that. So I think that's the sense of the, that question of why did, why is there evil in the world? Is that when it happens, when things do bad do happen, what the, these first eight chapters can do is tell us that where um, that God walks alongside us regardless and loves us for it. And I think that's such an important point. And I'm sorry I interrupted you, but that's what I was trying to think about was 
I think that so often, and this makes sense because we're Christians, right? We're followers of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we're going to, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't want to speak for y'all, but nine times out of 10, if I'm preaching, I'm going to go to the gospel, you know, and I try to really push myself in the Old Testament. But I think a lot of times we think, thank God we're on the other side of Jesus. And yes, that's true. But the Hebrew scripture has so much to give us, as Jimmy was just talking about, you know, that God never forsaked, you know, even though there was hardship, even though it was really hard. I'm currently listening to, and I say listening because I have it on audio, um, the book of longings. Have y'all heard about this? This is a Sue Monk kid book and maybe we can um, link it, but it is the story. It's a, it's, it's a fiction book, but it is if Jesus got married to Anna, who is Judas's sister. Okay. But what's fascinating about it is they are Hebrew people. They are Jewish people. They are living into this Jewish law, right? And so it feels so harsh. But what Anna does is look to people like Hannah, who weren't that many centuries before her, you know, walking and talking on the earth. And she's going, there were women in the Bible. There were men in the Bible. There were there was God present all the time. So it's kind of cool to me to think about, you know, we know that's not the truth and what happened, but kind of think about how those people, even in Jesus's day, were looking at the Hebrew scripture, just like we can too. You know, know, one thing I think with Hannah's song is I was, I forgot where I saw it, but it was kind of a interpretation of the Magnificat, right? And so Mary, when she gets this news, she burst out in song and the thing she knows, right? And so there the storyteller was saying, what if St. Anne, every night when she was rocking Mary to sleep, sang Hannah's song? Mm, and so that. Mary had Hannah's song read and prayed over her every day. And she knew those words. And so when she had this moment, she burst out in that. And then you think, Mary rocking a baby Jesus every night with the Magnificat. And so then we see Jesus when he's fully grown, like his ministry is shaped by these words spoken by Mary, by these words spoken by Hannah, by these words spoken by God. That are just ingrained in him because they were read to him and he knew them, you know. And then, you know, he knows the story of Samuel, which is next, right? Which we could talk about again for a long time, this calling that happens, right? So let's talk about that. Sure. Well, so... so. do you want me to give the background or do you want to yeah, go? Uh, yes, Jimmy, please. So Hannah finally has a son. Spoiler for y'all. Um, and um, and uh, one of her promises to the Lord was that she was going to give Samuel as a Nazarite, her child as a Nazarite, which is re- basically just means given over or, you know, uh, made holy, right? And so he goes and lives with Eli, who has two scoundrel sons, um, and in the middle of the night, uh, Samuel wakes up to the voice of, of his name being called, thinking that he's Eli, and that happens three times. Eli finally figures it out, right, and, and says, oh, was the Lord calling you? And so um, the third, you know, that last time, um, Samuel then says, here I am, Lord. Uh, I'm listening. And, uh, and God then um, gives him the gift 
calls him to to uh, you know to be a prophet, which is not good for Eli and his family because the prophecy is against him um, because of the scoundrel kids who end up dying in 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 a battle against the Philistines, and then it's it, kind of a little weird, but you know, and then and then Eli's so shocked he falls back over and as I say, it breaks his neck, <laughs> you know, and every, so the whole family dies and the prophecy comes true. And so Samuel becomes a, a prophet and is called into it. So that's the background. Yeah, so Samuel was thinking like, oh my God, all my family died and here I am left and now I'm supposed to be a prophet. What the heck do I do? You right. know, that's I'd be thinking. Well, you know? well, yeah, that happens after Samuel kind of grows older yeah, they, you know, the, the prophecy comes true later, uh, which we can talk about how prophecies take a while for those things to work out. That happens definitely with Saul, you know, um, after after Samuel uh, prophesies that that he's no longer anointed, you know, or, you know, that there would be another one coming. Um, but and even you know what? So, sorry. No, even with that, Jimmy, like in Samuel's call, it doesn't happen. It's not immediately clear, right? And so I've always been drawn by this. Samuel hears something, and he goes and asks. There's nothing. Samuel hears something. And we, Mary Balfour, we talked. I forgot who the guest was. We talked about kind of the starts and stops of God's call Mm -hmm. for us as ordained people. I mean, we know each other's stories, and we know that there's been stops and starts along the way. Um, But even folks discerning their own vocation in their life, right? It's not always clear, right? Like we wish, like Eli would just walk in and tell Samuel, this is what's going to happen. But we have this story where there's this back and forth, this confusing, and it just seems crazy. Am I I mistaken? And because it has been seven plus years, but um, is this not uh, Samuel's call, not one that's often used in the ordination service? No, y'all keep talking. I got got that wrong. Um, There's, 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 you can choose, you know, and I was thinking that one of the um, Samuel's call was that way. But I think that we as priests can often be like, you know, this call, this call, this call. But Jimmy and I have talked about this recently. You know, you don't have to be priests to be called, right? You don't, I I even talked about this in Jeremiah a little bit in my sermon yesterday, um, which I'm looking forward to Jeremiah now. Um, in, in that, how do we help everyone feel that call to be ministers? And, you know, we happen to be called to be priests, but that doesn't, that's not the end all be all. There's a lot of way to be ministers, you know, and how do we help people figure that out? Um, and sometimes we just say, go figure it out, you know, um, but maybe looking at Samuel is a, is a great place to send people in that. Did I have that wrong, Alan? No, it's not in there. It's either Isaiah or something else. <laughs> okay. Um, Samuel, Isaiah, you know, this is. No, but I think it's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, Jimmy, like your whole deal before when we were working together in the diocese, part of your role was to help people discern. Number one, calls to ordination, but also calls to ministry in a parish, right? And that's, you know, we're all three priests. But more people are called to do ministry without a caller than are called to do with a caller. And it's the same thing, right? Like whether you're feeling called to be on the altar guild or to mow the grass at the church, whatever it is, it's not always going to be immediately clear. Right? I had this a conversation with someone who um, was saying, like, I just want God to, like, tell me what to do. Like, yeah, me too, bud. 
Like, yeah. How do we hear that? I mean, Samuel well, obviously has a hard time doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. This story, this calling, is 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 really a good a good model for us, right? So there's there's an internal process that that Samuel here he hears God's calling him, but it 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 he needs Eli to be able to help interpret and uh, and and send him in a direction. And one of the incredible things is that Eli doesn't give him the answer. Right. He says, well, next time you hear it, say, here I am, Lord. No, you know, like there's some self-discovery in the community. I.e., Eli, you know, helps him to navigate through that call. And I definitely think, you know, we're all as Christians called into something, you know, as a part of God's mission. And whatever that is, it, you know, I think this call from Samuel is, is helpful in that we both receive that call from what's was welling up in our hearts, but then it's also, you know, we have our community that moves us along and helps us to discern and shape and sharpen that, that calling. And if that was anything that the church can do for each other, right. That's it is, is to um, help us to sort of bring out, clarify and sharpen what God is calling us to do, right? And then to do it, right? You know, Samuel's emboldened, you know, uh, even though, uh, and I can't remember exactly, I wish I could, uh, I thought about this before, I would have underlined it, but, um, you know, Eli says, tell me what the prophecy was. And and Samuel doesn't want to tell him because he's, because uh, it's against Eli and his family. And so he ends up telling him, and Eli says, well, okay, you know, you, you know, that's, that's what God is calling us into. And, and so, um, and so not only is it that internal call and that support from the community along the way, but it's also the sense that, um, there's an engagement in it. There's an enacting of, of that call along the way in which is done also in community. That's yeah, just, to me, that's really incredible. Yeah, may we all have an Eli in our lives, you know, a church community. Uh, you know, I, I I was just thinking, Alan, when you said that, you know, you have, you're talking to someone, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. Let's find him an Eli, you know, to talk that through and to be able to open our arms and say, here I am, Lord. And that's the beauty of the community. You that's know? what a spiritual director is, is someone to mm-hmm. hear what you're talking about and, you know, well, and hear I also, what they where they find God in that. Right. And I also feel like a lot of times, I'm sure, I don't know how y'all feel, but like people look to us as priests to help them do that. And what I'm trying to do more and more in my, within my own parish is create these groups that can, that are not, that don't involve me. I'll be there for prayer. I'll be there to support, but you know, others to help lift those folks up and whatever, whatever that need is to be sort of those Eli's um, of the world and how important that is. Y'all, we don't have much time left. Is there anything that you're just burning to talk about with first Samuel in these first couple of chapters? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about the uh, golden tumors, but uh, we might leave that as a cliffhanger. Um, That'll be a special episode sometime. (laughs) Oh, how gross. How gross would that be? (laughs) Uh, That, 
Yeah. Yeah. David. I mean, that, right. Like, I mean, that says something about scripture. Like it doesn't leave out those parts. It calls these kids scoundrel kids, right? You know, they lose the ark, right? Like this isn't hagiography where we're only going to, because too often I think scripture, when we're talking about biblical heroes, we talk about the good stuff. Right. And everything seems like it's up and to the right. Everything's a success. It's not because like sometimes you lose the presence of God and have to go, Win it back. Yeah. Right. And that might might be going to the bathroom on the wall or golden tumors yeah. or whatever it may be. Or bodily yeah. discharge. Right. Like right. we're gonna talk about all these things. We we just right. love to dig deep into those things here at yeah. This is what we're gonna do, Mary Balfour. We're gonna have a special, maybe in a summer or something, we're gonna have like a special series where we're talking about all like the gross stuff in the Bible. And Jimmy's going to be there. I, I'm going to let you and Jimmy do that by yourselves. Um, Jimmy, uh, yeah, golden tumors and mice. Yeah. Gross. Jimmy, thank you for sharing your thoughts today. Um, you two did very well. I'm proud of you. I was worried I was going to have to referee you two, but you did great. You're not in your best of friends. Listeners, remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does. <laughs>